everyone would know it if they saw it, I think. For me, the things I look for is just branding, you know, probably like a URL that's 60 characters long or it's, I don't know, mytravelblog2023.com, like those kind of signals. I think too many ads and like interstitials or whatever they're called between pages, pop-ups, low quality content. I think when you're reading it, you can just tell it doesn't flow. It's purely written for search. There's tons of stock images. Yeah, those are kind of the key signals, but I think it's just when you start actually trying to consume the content, is this answering what I wanted? Like, am I learning from this? Is it doing what it promised it would in a way that's a nice experience for me where I'm not dodging pop-ups, I'm not having to hide ads to read the next paragraph. That's the things that I look for. Hi, and welcome to the Optimize Podcast. My name is Nate Matherson, and I am your host. On this weekly podcast, we sit down with some of the smartest minds in content marketing and SEO. Our goal is to give you perspective and insights on what's moving the needle in organic search. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Ash Reed. Ash is the co-founder of 937, a growing portfolio of owned and operated media brands, including Interior Insider and IndoorPlants.com, and up until very recently, Living Cozy. In our episode today, I'm excited to learn more about Ash's experience building a portfolio of brands with a clear focus on content and SEO. And before 937, Ash led content at Buffer during an incredibly important time in that company. And I'd love to learn more about that too. And as you might have seen on Ash's LinkedIn recently, he sold Living Cozy. And I'd love to learn more about that acquisition process and what comes next for him with his portfolio of brands. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by Positional. At Positional, we're building tools for content marketing and SEO teams. We've got a great selection of tools for everything from content optimization to keyword research and technical SEO. And you can visit our website at positional.com. Ash, thanks so much for coming on the episode today. Uh, thanks for having me, Nate. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Yeah, so you and I have chatted a few times over the last couple months, and I've always really enjoyed our conversations. It's always great to connect with other SEOs in the weeds of building their own properties. Um, and the first question I always ask our guests is, how did you get into the world of content and SEO? And how did this become like your career path? Yeah, so um, I've always kind of had a con- uh, like an interest in content on the web. Like My first job was um, actually like running comms and like product management for fantasy football games and that kind of forced me to like start writing emails learning a little bit about web copy and yeah from there kind of transitioned to social media like went freelance actually kind of got turned down twice for my dream job at adidas um, as social media manager for football and that kind of pushed me to like go freelance and get more experience in the spaces they said i was lacking and yeah then from that freelance it was just kind of like snowballed into you know writing more online um getting paid for the first time to write online realizing that's a job that i could do and yeah you know wrote for a bunch of different um, startups and then that eventually led me to buffer Um, i spent six years at buffer like scaling their content so we hit like at the peak over one and a half million page views a month on the blog um, over twenty five thousand downloads a month on the podcast then left buffer spent 12 months as head of content at wayflyer which is an irish tech unicorn focused on e-commerce funding and finance for e-commerce brands yeah and then like for the past three years so since like april 
2020, I've been building Living Cozy and then the additional kind of brands in Indoor Plants and InteriorInsider.com, which both um, have yet to really take off. Like they're still very much in the siege stage as I was fully focused on building Living Cozy. But yeah, Living Cozy started out as a side project. Um, then November 2022 went full time. And yeah, as of like August 2023, that site's been acquired. Yeah. And for all of our listeners who haven't been to Living Cozy before, what is Living Cozy? What is that website and brand that you've created over the last few years? Yeah. So like I founded it to be like the best place to discover or a place to discover the internet's best home and furniture brands. So I moved house in late like 2019 and I'd done some work with like a few D2C brands in the home space. And I knew there were tons of really interesting brands out there, but the only way I was discovering them was um, when they would advertise to me on Instagram or Facebook. So I initially started Living Cozy as a directory, just where you could browse all of the home brands that had kind of launched recently. And then like it got a good reception in the first couple of weeks, like a few people tweeted about it, had some good feedback. And I just decided to kind of lean on my experience in content and SEO to scale it. Um, and yeah, at the peak, it hit like 350,000 monthly page views. What led you to the decision to ultimately sell it were you actively selling it or did someone approach you and say i want to buy it yeah like we'd had a few people reach out over the years or i'd had a few people reach out over the years about acquiring living cozy but like it never quite felt right like also i feel like there's a lot of people that just kick the tires and reach out but to be honest for the probably the past 18 months it had been in the back of my mind like you know it's making good revenue i could sell this on and for me like i just you know wanting to take some chips off the table to be honest that was kind of the main motivation behind it like i think there's a lot of growth ahead for the site you know it feels like it's still kind of in its infancy and there's tons of growth ahead for it but for me personally it was just like you know i've spent three years on this i'm proud of what i've done i'm proud of how far it's come and you know i would i'd like a new challenge but also you know the chance to take a few chips off the table and kind of figure out what i want to do next was like really exciting and um yeah something that i didn't really want to turn down yeah how does a buyer value a website like living cozy which was if i'm not mistaken like largely like an affiliate marketing site like you earned revenue by linking your readers over to products that they could buy and so for that buyer of the site how did they ultimately value the property or like what was their methodology there into understanding what they could pay for it yeah so i mean like the real simple kind of breakdown is people tend to look at monthly profit that the sites make over the last say like 12 to 18 months and then multiply that by a figure it can be you know like anything from like 15 to 40x like monthly revenue um, you know, depending on how the revenue is trending, how traffic's trending, what the market's like, there's, you know, a, a million different factors that can come into what multiple you land on. But yet the main way I've seen these kind of content sites valued is by yeah, a multiple of monthly profit over the last 12 months. Yeah, I think like for me, that was something that I really focused on from quite early in the journey. So from like when I said the you know, the idea of selling had crossed my mind. I had a spreadsheet where I had like a constant, you know, a breakdown of the last 12 months revenue, different multiples that that could be used to kind of value the site at. And yeah, that kind of helped me to figure out like, okay, like when is a good time to sell on or to try and sell this business? Yeah. And I, I always find it interesting that like website sellers and like the SEO content space, like value their properties in multiples of monthly profit. I'm not sure why it's monthly profit. It seems like everywhere else in the entire world, it's like annual like EBITDA multiples. And so in like, 
the SEO content space, people always say like, like 20 or 30 times or whatever it might be like monthly profit when really that's just like two to three X annual profit. I don't know. That's something that always confuses me. But I guess a question like I have is timing. Like how long did it ultimately take from like start to finish once you had like identified the buyer to ultimately closing that sale and, and getting paid for the property? Yeah. So I think like we, or I was quite lucky in this and that like it didn't drag out too long it probably took like five months from listing the site for sale to actually like closing the deal um and i think within like eight nine weeks of listing it like we had lois from people um and yeah like managed to get the deal closed fairly quick but yeah obviously like you know a lot of ups and downs and and things to figure out during that period but um yeah from what i've heard like it was quite a speedy process um which i think also kind of like speaks to the quality of living cozy like you know i think when you're buying websites online or buying content sites like it is at times looking for like a diamond in the rough like there's a lot of bad sites up for sale but also yeah i think the fact that like buyers were keen to move quickly as well um was just like a testament to the quality of the site that that i built you mentioned that there are a lot of i guess seo content sites for sale that are maybe low quality or not as of high quality what makes like a low quality content site for sale everyone would know it if they saw it i think but um for me like the things i look for is just like bad branding you know probably like a url that's like 60 characters long or it's like i don't know my travel blog 2023.com like those kind of signals i think like loads of ad like too many ads and like interstitials or whatever they're called between pages like pop-ups like low quality content like i think when you're reading it like you can just tell it doesn't flow it's purely written for search there's like tons of stock images yeah those are kind of the the key signals but i think like it's just when you start actually trying to consume the content you're just like is this answering what i wanted like am i learning from this is it doing what it promised it would in a way that's like a nice experience for me where i'm not dodging pop-ups i'm not having to like hide ads to read the next paragraph like that's the things that i look for yeah it sounds like the quality of content was pretty important and both like driving traffic you mentioned you grew it to like three hundred fifty thousand readers per month and I know that you created quite a bit of content. How much content did you actually create on the site? Like how many pages existed? So there's probably about 400 pages in total, maybe even more. There's probably about 500 pages because there's like 200 brands listed. So there's just like a directory of brands and each brand has its own profile page. Um, I think we got up to about 50 product reviews, maybe like 150, 200 blog posts. I should probably know the exact number, but um, yeah, between like 400, 500 pieces of content, I would say. And as far as like monetizing the site goes, was it like difficult to find like those affiliate partners or brands that were willing to pay you? Or was it like as easy as just signing up to be like an affiliate partner on their site? Yeah, so it got easier over time. I think I actually started out using Skimlinks and the way Skimlinks works is you install like one line of code on your website. And then it turns every link into an affiliate link. So like if the brand has an affiliate program on say like Impact or Share a Sale or Pepper Jam um, and they work with Skimlinks and you link to that brand, Skimlinks will just turn it into an affiliate link for you. Um, they take a percentage of the revenue generated from that link, but like it's an easy way to essentially get into like every affiliate program when you're just starting out. And you know, you don't have a direct relationship with the brand, but it kind of helps to just get the ball rolling. And it was that really that kind of helped me to um to refine the strategy. Cause like I saw within probably the first like eight, nine weeks of the site, um, we'd made a couple of sales. The first one was nine pound thirty-seven, which is yeah, like why 
the company's called 937. And the second one was actually for a sofa. And that's what made me like really focus in on sofas and high average order value products. Like it sounds so obvious when you say it in retrospect, but yeah, when I saw like what the commission of like eight to 12% of a sofa was, I was like, yeah, I need to go all in on, on creating content around these products. And yeah, from skim links, you could kind of see like which brands are driving revenue. Then I would like get set up on each of the individual platforms, reach out to the brands individually and start building those relationships. But it helps, you know, when you're trying to build a relationship with a brand, when you can say like you have data to send and say like, hey, like we've generated like this many clicks, this many sales worth this much revenue for you in the past, like three months. We want to work with you directly. Like it's just so much easier than like, you know, I'm Ash, I have a blog and I'd like to work with you. Um, so yeah, I think like those numbers and being armed with that data like really helps to build solid relationships. Yeah, in my career, I found that like going direct to the uh, partner will yield typically like two to three times in some cases, like the amount of commission or revenue or whatever the, the model is that's compensating you. Is that is that something you found like by going direct to them, you were often able to negotiate like better payouts or structures to those deals as well? Yeah, definitely. I think like it's a competitive space, like everyone that runs an affiliate program like they're trying to generate the most revenue possible and i think like when you go to them directly you know they're often keen to see like okay how can we do more together how can you drive more revenue for us and you know sometimes that means an extra couple of percent in you know like revenue share or you know cpas sometimes it means like sending product for reviews sometimes it's like direct paid placements and brand deals um, but yeah like i think as soon as you have the relationship with the brand directly then it really kind of opens up a ton of opportunity and different ways that you can work together to you know drive them more revenue but also get more revenue for your own business did you get any free couches as part of this process so the biggest downside of being in the uk was that i didn't get any free stuff but i think we've probably shipped about 25 couches to writers across the us there was one point in i think it was like 2021 um so we got hit a little bit by the december 2020 core update and lost a little bit of traffic and my reaction to that was like well i need to do a lot more first-hand reviews it's something we've done like one or two of at the time um and yeah it was kind of my mission to like review as many sofas as possible and i think at one point in early 2021 we had like 10 to 15 sofas like making their way around the us to different writers for reviews and yeah like that formed a, a huge part of the strategy um was kind of getting those first-hand reviews because once you've got those published you can then like repurpose those across multiple pages like wherever you mention that brand or wherever you mention that product you can include like a an image that one of the writers has sent you you can include a quote about like their experience with the product and um yeah when it comes to like google's kind of eat that's like incredibly valuable so yeah i think like there's a, a nice lesson in there about like yeah core updates like it sucks to get hit but you know, sometimes it is for the right reasons and it will make you, um, you know, refigure your strategy and um, grow more in the long run. Well, in the future, once like your non-compete that I'm sure exists is up and you're reviewing sofas again, I will review one for free. So you can just mail one to me here in Charleston, South Carolina. And I, I know Zachary from our team is also probably game. So yeah, feel free to let us know about that in the future. And I do want to unpack a couple of things that you said. I often get asked about algorithm updates and what we should do. And like, 
like, how do we recover? And it's often like a difficult conversation for me because like I can throw like a, be- a lot of best practices at you, but it's not like a silver bullet. Like you're not going to get like 30% of your traffic back tomorrow. And so for all of my customers that ask me like what we should do after an algorithm update, like what is that process that you kind of go through in terms of, you know, figuring out what happened and, and what we might be able to improve on going forward? Yeah. So, you know, I'd love to say that I have it all figured out. Um, you know, honestly, like the first few days, once if a traf if you get hit and it starts going down, I am the worst for refreshing Google Analytics every hour on the hour, getting mad that the traffic's down week on week, trying to figure out like, you know, how bad it could potentially be. And, you know, yeah, there's like a few days of that where it's just like, oh, I wish this hadn't happened. Like what's going on? What am I doing wrong? And then I think it's really just like, you know, there's nothing in my opinion, like I don't think there's anything you can do in the moment, like while the update's rolling out, like you can't really change anything. Like I, maybe other people have seen this but like i've always seen that like if the first two or three days of an update are really good or really bad that's kind of where you're going to end up at the end of the update so yeah i tend to just kind of spend like a couple of weeks just like seeing how it plays out and then it's just really you know thinking like okay what has gone wrong have we cut any corners is there anything that like we could do to improve like could we get better images could we do better internal linking to certain pages you know are some posts a bit old you know are there some topics that we're missing in clusters that we can boost thing that we can use to like boost our overall like expertise on a subject those are kind of all the things that i go through and like also i think sometimes google just like gets it wrong like google just says certain things about how they want the algorithm to work and then they prioritize you know other things like you know living cozy got hit early this year in like 2023 and i think like actually the august 2023 update just reversed most of the um the stuff that went on there and like with that update i was you know scratching my head for ages i was like you know google says it wants first-hand reviews it wants like real images it wants like real perspective and experience with products you know i've done all of those things and then all of a sudden insider.com has jumped above me just because they've picked out eight sofas and randomly put them in a list like that's annoying but you know from my perspective i'm like yeah i can refresh the content i can like make it a little bit better but like i can't reverse that decision like you just kind of need to have faith that like yeah you know if google is serious about what it says it is like it's going to reverse that eventually i know it's a lot easier to say that you know with hindsight and it's a lot easier to kind of say it outside of the moment because in the moment it feels like everything's crumbling down yeah. And it's very uncomfortable to say to one of our customers, like, looks like you're doing a really good job. Just hold tight. <laughs> like just, uh, you know, things will reverse, uh, but it does happen, like you've said. And I've been on myself on like the positive and negatives of algorithm updates. Sometimes the stars align and there's like a really positive algorithm update right before like a very seasonal event in your business, which is just like incredible. And I've also found like I've seen algorithm updates to my specific categories or at least big shifts in rankings tend to happen before like seasonal events. Did you see any sort of like big changes or or spikes or drops in the traffic around different like seasonal events or times of the year where someone might be buying a couch yeah like seasonality was huge like obviously like anyone selling products you know like consumer products q4 is huge there's you know so many holidays around that pretty much from like labor day onwards like there's a lot going on and yeah like sometimes we have seen you know like this august update just gone it it was updating over labor day but i feel like now things are pretty set through q4 
and you know the sites that got a boost like they're going to be getting a lot more traffic driving a lot more sales doing a lot more revenue um and you know if you got a negative impact then yeah it's like switch things up or if you're confident hold tight and i'm sure it'll correct itself at some point but yeah like seasonality was big you know in furniture like there's a lot of sales throughout the year there's you know seasonal stuff with like outdoor furniture is obviously very popular through summer and like from kind of labor day like brands are trying to shift out old inventory ready for like the spring's new inventory yeah like knowing those kind of seasonalities like it does help you with content planning and also just like yeah knowing when you're going to see like traffic spikes um because sometimes like you know being in the uk like there's different national holidays and i'd have a monday that looked like it was up like a hundred percent on last week and then i'd realize it's like yeah it's a holiday day in the us and everyone's shopping and you've talked a little bit about like your your writing team the people actually creating this content on the site was that mostly like a freelance team like freelance writers freelance editors or did you actually have anyone in-house also creating content too yeah so like all freelance like a lot of my i'd say like my philosophy on business is just like i want to alleviate as much stress as possible for myself and for me like working with freelancers over in-house people and working with agencies over in-house like helps that and you know i think like sometimes you will pay a premium for it like especially with agencies but yeah it was worth it to me yeah i think like working with freelancers it's really important because like it gets a ton of different voices on your site and you know i was able to get freelancers that had really good bylines at like other big publications in the home space even like you know big national titles like the new york times and you know sites like that so i think like that really helped with the authority of of building living cozy and also like you know, I managed to build a fairly big roster. Like there was kind of four to five freelancers we worked with every month or every couple of months. But then I had others that I would reach out to when product reviews came up. Um, Because when you're reviewing like big household items, like someone might only be able to review one sofa, like then their house is full. Like you can't send them a new sofa every month. So um, yeah, there was kind of logistical challenges like that to get over to. Yeah, I'm actually a big believer in like the importance of author bylines, generally just in terms of having them on your site, which is something that still a lot of sites don't do, but also like the expertise and uh, brand and authority of that byline. Like if you Google that person's name, like seeing very clearly that they're a credible author and something that I've done in my career, like knowing that this piece of content was going to be very expensive and knowing that we might only get one or two pieces created from this person, I've actually gone out and tried to bring some of these like highly credible bylines onto my site, even if it was like only one or two pieces of content as a way to like show Google that, okay, this site is legitimate. They have experienced authors. I might be overthinking it. And like EE does kind of become like a black box. Like we don't really know, like we can do our best, but what are like, you know, two or three of those like EE type factors that you do think are important when building a site? Yeah, I agree 100% with bylines, like having experienced authors is key. The other thing like I baked in like pretty much from the start, which is like everything we publish has to have expert perspective. Like a lot of the early content was written just by me. I'm not an interior designer. You know, to be honest, I know no one cares what my opinions are on sofas or interior design. So it was really key to just get experts, whether that's from like the furniture brands that we worked with or interior design pros to share their like thoughts, opinions, you know, feedback ideas for every post and to make sure that we quoted them. Um, And then like everyone that we quoted on the website, we also made like a contributor page so you could like click through to their profile, read a bio about them, um, links to their website, see all of the content that they've contributed to. Um, So for me, like a lot of the work was just like making sure that Google knew we had real experts 
on the site. One of the approaches that I kind of built for Living Cozy, I essentially called it just like layering content. So the first thing was just like get the piece of content out there. Like nothing's ever going to be perfect. So just like publish something when it's like nearly done. And then once it was live, like if I couldn't get expert quotes when I just started out, I would then like revisit in a few months, try and get some expert thoughts and opinions to put into the article. Then, you know, like some original images to remove like anything I got off like Shutterstock or Unsplash or just like a brand website. And then, you know, like that layer was kind of complete with the expert layer. And then it's like, okay, what more can I do? Like, can I get a video created for this page to you know, show that we know what we're talking about to like increase the time on page to show Google, like people are spending a good amount of time on this content and like reading it and consuming it. Can we do like firsthand reviews of the products that we talk about? So yeah, it was kind of constantly just like adding another layer to the content um, because like you'd never publish if you try to get all of that done at the start. You know, like even as I sold the site, like we were reviewing products and updating like articles that I'd published two years ago. Um, so it's kind of like just always adding fresh layers to content is um, yeah, a really, really key thing, I think, for like the EEAT signals. It's critically important. I would say that like at my first company, like we spent like half of our team's editorial time, like going back to existing content and updating it and improving it. And I know like you were probably dealing with like prices and features and new products. Like I was actively dealing with like interest rates and product terms and sign up bonuses and all of these other things that would change on a monthly basis. And if you weren't updating certain pages really every month, like they were going to be outdated. And so I, I'm a huge believer in going back and updating existing pieces, especially if you've got content stuck on like page two or page three, and it's ranking like moderately well, but not yet hit the first page. So I totally agree with you there. And as far as like those metrics that you would track, you mentioned like, I think like time on page, were there any other like user experience metrics that you looked at to judge if like a user user was having a good experience on a piece of content yeah so um time on page was one but like the mo the main things i focused on were just like revenue metrics um so the things i kind of cared about on a monthly basis were you know like traffic like sessions and page views are they going the right direction but then how many clicks did we send to brands so like how many people read one of our pieces of content, clicked through to a brand page, and then just like the number of sales and the revenue generated by those sales, because like the main success metric was like clicks to brands, like how many people are discovering Living Cozy and then clicking through to one of the brands that we work with, because um, that's how we made like most of our money. And, you know, not every piece of content was affiliate content. Like I, you know, I think it's important to cover other topics um, to kind of build the the reputation and the authority and the, the space. But yeah, I didn't really like pay too much attention to things like scroll depth. Um, I didn't even have the like technology to track that um, installed. But yeah, also like the bounce rates and stuff can be like really deceiving on affiliate sites because it's like the whole point is people come to your site to leave your website. Like if you're doing your job right and like they're looking for a review of a certain sofa and you review it, they should be leaving your site to click through to that website. Time on page was you know something that I would look at just like on the guides to be like, are people spending enough time? Like, you know, they aren't looking for like two seconds and hitting back because we're not delivering what we promised to in the SERPs. So yeah, those are kind of like the key things that I would like look at. Yeah, scroll depth is like notoriously hard to set up. Like Google Analytics gives it to you at like a 90% event, but that's not particularly that helpful. I think like very rarely would someone actually read like 
90% of a piece of content if you've maybe done a good job. And I do think like personally, SEO has gotten a lot more competitive over like the last 10 years. You've got, you know, the business insiders and the insiders of the world who are, you know, truly creating terrible content and ranking like quite well in search. Sorry, business insider, but it's true. How do they do it? Like what allows like a site like Business Insider with a much lower quality piece of content actually to perform so well in the SERPs? Yeah, I feel like it just comes down to like authority. I know like, you know, the main authority is largely a made up metric that Google tells you they don't really pay attention to. But I just think like, yeah, those kind of mammoth sites, like they do rank just purely because of like the amount of links they have, the amount of authority they have. I do kind of feel a bit sorry for Google in that respect. So I think like it is hard to tell like how genuinely authoritative a site is on a certain topic because there's so many ways to like game the system now. And I think like, yeah, Insider and and those sites, they, you know, they succeed just because of their scale. And, you know, if they talk about a topic, Google thinks, yeah, like they must be trusted because of all of the links they have, all of the authority, like the brand name they have, like they probably get a ton of brand searches. And, you know, it's hard because like sometimes like the best content might be on a site that's only got like five backlinks and might be fairly new. And yeah, I think it's, it's challenging because, you know, everyone in SEO knows like how to game certain parts of the system. And, you know, there's a lot of like black hat stuff people won't do, but I think there's a lot of like gray hat stuff that people do do and will continue to do um, because, you know, I think Google will often say certain things are against their rules, certain things are outlawed, but then they won't punish it. And I think like the biggest example of that is like, you know, the inside of things where like you have to have firsthand reviews, you have to have like true authority in a space. And then all of a sudden, like all the brands in that niche get like bumped down for a generic like publisher that just covers every topic. And yeah, it's hard. I can understand it's very, very hard to stop for Google. But um, yeah, it's something they need to figure out. Yeah, I'm optimistic that there will be like a business insider update here hopefully soon we've been calling for it for like three years but it hasn't happened and you mentioned like gray hat tactics this is largely like a white hat podcast but what are like two or three of those gray hat tactics that are still working pretty well here in 2023 yeah so i just think like the whole buying backlinks there's you know you're not meant to do it but there are so many agencies that will do like guest post backlinks. Um, it's something I've done a bit of like when I started out, um, I actually kind of moved more towards like digital PR and like earned links um, after Living Cozy, like after I had the budget to like hire an agency to work on that. But yeah, I just think like the whole guest posting backlink space, it's so murky still. And um, you know, I know like Google's tried to do away with like PBNs and like people don't use them anymore. But yeah, I think there's just like a lot of backlink stuff that is kind of in that like gray area where it's like you probably shouldn't do it, but like everyone does and everyone gets away with it. And, you know, it works like it. It helps sites to grow. Yeah, I agree with you that earned media is uh, the best way to build backlinks. And it's also the most scalable in my experience. And for all of our listeners, a PBN is a private blog network. This was like a very popular way to build backlinks into the early and late and mid 2010s. And then here in 2023, like Ash, do PBNs like still work? Are companies still using them? Even large companies I've seen in the past. Yeah. I mean, like I've not ever tried any but like i'm sure they're still out there and people are still using them yeah i'm sure google's got a little bit better at detecting certain things but yeah i don't 
really trust that they can like detect every single thing about every single link and how it was earned yet right yeah it's always funny when you used to go to some of the pbn sites and they were trying to like mask who they were linking to by like also linking to business insider and uh i don't know maybe business insider is buying those links who knows all right so my next question is on ux and ui i think you did a really awesome job with ux and ui at living cozy was that something like you really prioritized as being important for the site ranking while in search yeah so it's like really important to me like i like nice design anyway um and i just think that like if you're trying to get people to read your content and buy products um whether it's like your own products or you know affiliate deals like whatever it is you need to have a good experience right like i kind of think about it like um you know if i was work walking into a furniture store to buy a sofa i wouldn't want loads of people jumping out at me as i'm walking through trying to distract me trying to like tell me about different products different brands i just want to kind of go in look around and see what i like and i think like the web should be the same like in some respects like display ads help pay the bills so they're nice but like i didn't have any display ads on affiliate content and the pages that made money it was a real focus for me to just like make it a nice experience to let people you know come in distraction free scroll down the page read the content if they want to click through to like check out one of the brands that we talk about or one of the products we talk about like they can do that and like yeah that was a big focus like um you know i feel like i'm probably one of the minority of people that like focuses on like page speed and experience and things like that because i feel like google always says they matter and then like never actually prioritizes it in algorithm updates and yeah i know they said like a while back that they were deprioritizing some of the like page metric stuff in in updates but um yeah i just think for like a user experience even if there's no benefit in google like it's good to have a site that loads as soon as you click on it that isn't filled with pop-ups and distraction and kind of focuses on like getting the job done that you need it to do yeah regardless of it if google cares like it is helpful for conversion rate and actually getting like that reader to become a customer and at our first company we obsessed over page speed uh, given that we saw it just had a very direct impact on conversion rate. And as far as like search changing, like I get asked about Google's new SGE experience basically every day. And sometimes I feel a little crazy that I'm starting a company that's building tools for SEOs in 2023. But I guess I'm going to ask you like, what do you make of like Google's new SGE experience? Like is SEO dead here in 2023, 2024? Yes, I feel like SEO and email just like take it in turns dying like every couple of years um, and they always kind of come through. And, you know, I feel like the SGE update, like being based in the UK, I haven't been able to like test it firsthand, which is kind of annoying. Um, but, you know, from what I've seen and read, it feels like they are kind of moving in the right direction in that like they're now adding links to results they're kind of giving more credit and attribution to the people that create the content because i think like at the end of the day like google needs creators to serve answers and if they aren't sending traffic to sites then like they're just going to get cut out of that cycle and then like everyone loses in that situation like i think publishers lose because there aren't as many people coming to their site but google loses because it hasn't got good up-to-date references to create ai answers from you know it makes sense for everyone to send people to websites you know like google also still makes a ton of money from the display ads it serves and you know if they're 
not sending as many people to websites, like they're also cutting off some of their revenue. So I think they will always send people through to sites. I definitely don't think SEO is dying. I think it changes. Like I think the methods to get featured in maybe like the SGE answers will be different to what it takes to get like one of the top five organic spots in Google. But I also think like in an AI world, human content matters even more, especially in like certain niches like, um, you know, interior design, for example, like if I'm Googling living room design inspiration or mid-century living room design, like SGE can generate an answer, but I want to see examples of that. I want to see what interior designers say about that. Like if I'm buying a product, if I'm looking for like the best running socks, like SGE can make some recommendations, but I'm going to click through and read what an actual person who's used that product talks about. And yeah, I just think like also, you know, I've played around with like GPT and like Claude enough to know like you shouldn't trust what an AI generates 100% right now. So um, SEO is definitely going to change, but yeah, I don't think it's going to die. I have a couple follow-ups. So my initial follow-up is like a statement. It kind of comes back to everything that you were saying about like the work you did on the EE side of things, like bringing in actual expert quotes, like real interior designers who are well-known. Like I think searchers want to hear from those people and those experiences and they might crave like an answer or response that is more in depth than like an instant answer at the top of search and so i'm kind of of the perspective that it probably depends on the industry you're in like if you're building like a website that is you know a time zone site and they tell you what time it is in los angeles like google's already like displaced that whereas like if you're actually creating like in-depth content on it more technical or more in the weeds subject, like a user has to want to go and get more. They can't be served with a very quick answer. And my second statement is uh, an observation. I actually was talking to a friend like recently. Um, I, I don't want to call them like a private equity group, but they're essentially like an owner of large media brands. And they had built some really in cool internal tooling to try to start optimizing for these SGE placements by trying to like reverse engineer what goes into an SGE placement. So I kind of have this prediction over the next six to 12 months, we're going to see more tools, maybe even one from us that like helps teams try to dissect what is a good SGE placement and how we can fit our content into that. But then my next quick follow-up question is, have you seen like AI generated content work well at scale as like a content creation strategy I, i've seen like screenshots of people saying that it works well but yeah like my opinion is right now like ai content isn't good enough to publish especially if like you want to rank and focus on like the eat stuff we've spoken about today where i think like ai content is really helpful now is just like getting past that blank page um like i've used it where you know i've put together a content brief and i've just uploaded it and kind of said like make a first draft of this or like what's missing from this article what could i improve in this article i think it's like really good for that but i haven't i mean i'm sure there are examples where people have scaled sites to huge traffic numbers using purely ai content but um i feel like they also eventually like google catches up with them and like that drops back down to zero pretty quickly ai content is still a while off being like good enough but you know you can do certain things like i've played around with like claude and gpt and like given them a prompt and an expert quote and just said like 
turn this into a paragraph, like paraphrase the quote, like include elements of the quote in what you're writing. And like it has succeeded and been really helpful with that to like help me get past like a, a blank page. But yeah, I also kind of find the idea of a web where like everything is created by an AI and then ranked by algorithms and put in front of humans, like thoroughly like sad and depressing. And uh, yeah, I hope we don't reach that stage. Uh, me neither. Um, I always say to our customers that like if SEO fundamentally changes, I think there will always be like a mechanism for people who are looking for fantastic content to find it. Like maybe the distribution channel does change, but there's always going to be a place for fantastic content written by actual experts. There's going to be somewhere to put that. That's kind of my long term perspective on it. Um, but this has been like such an awesome conversation. If it's OK with you, I have like five questions I'd really like to ask you in our rapid fire round. So you've just sold living cozy what's next like are you going to build another website are you going to triple down on like your two existing properties that you've been working on like what's right in front of you yeah so um building like planning to build a couple of new properties like in different spaces actually one like local news business around where i live one in like a completely different niche but one that i'm like really interested and excited about and then yeah, also just like planning to do like maybe one day a week, just like helping out different companies, um, like freelancing, consulting, um, just kind of keep sharp. Like I've been out of like B2B for like nearly a year now. And, you know, as great as building sites on your own is, <laughs> it gets kind of lonely sometimes. And my next question was actually, what vertical has you most excited right now? And it seems like there's like a personal favorite. Can you tell us what it is? I will try and build something in like health and fitness like um after selling living cozy i was kind of like you know sitting and trying to think like what do i actually like and it's just like you know the first thing i do most days before i you know start working is i go for a run like when i've got spare time i'll like play football or, or soccer or basketball like those are the things that interest me and like yeah i'd like to try and build something in in that space and living cozy do you miss it i know it's only been like three weeks Partly, yeah. I think it's hard to like see something go, but yeah, I feel like it was a good time to to let go. But um, yeah, it feels a bit like a breakup where it's kind of like, yeah, I hope I hope it does well, but like I, you know, I'm gonna probably not pay too much attention to it now. Are you still gonna look at it in the serves? Probably not. Like I probably won't. You know, like I can't build. You know, I won't build in that space again for a, a while. So, like, yeah, I don't need to be in those SERPs, and uh, yeah, I'm definitely not going to like continue stalking the site on like Hrefs or or anything like that. For what it's worth, I do. Like, whenever we've sold a site, like I check in on it like once a month at least. Yeah, I'm saying like, yeah, you know, that's the best case scenario. Like, there'll be I'll have a weak moment every now and then where I'll like check in. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be curious. Like, I feel like you'd be somewhat curious. At least I am. We've talked a little bit about monetization. I've always found that, like, you know, it's one of those like eighty twenty rules where it's like twenty percent of pages drive eighty percent of monetization. Is that what you saw, or did you see that monetization was a bit more spread across the site? Yeah, it was like definitely like the top pages generated a lot of the revenue. But I would say like those top pages also like couldn't exist without a bunch of the other pages supporting them. So yeah, I'd agree like yeah, 80-20, like yeah, the top 20% of pages probably did 80% of revenue, maybe more. But you know, the other 80% of pages had to exist for those pages to to be thriving. My last question is in five years from now, are backlinks going to be more or less important than they are today? So I feel like more important. I don't know, like I just think like as a signal that like something's authoritative i feel like backlinks are still like a really good way to show that 
I think like there's going to be evolutions, like Google's going to get smarter at figuring out like which sites are just selling guest posts, like which sites only exist to sell guest posts, which links are like actually earned, um, which links matter. Like I think it will evolve, but yeah, I think like it will continue because like without that, like, yeah, there's not so much to go on. All right. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you for doing this, Ash. This has been an awesome episode. And we will definitely give you a backlink in the show notes, as well as link over to your LinkedIn so that all of our listeners can find you. And is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? Yeah, just like, again, thank you to you to having me. And like, yeah, for any of the listeners, like if you want to reach out, like yeah, feel free to ping me on like LinkedIn or, or Twitter. And um, thanks for listening. This episode of the Optimize Podcast is brought to you by a special sponsor. If you're anything like me, you've probably got a lot of content that's not very well optimized and it can be a total pain in your butt to optimize it and ultimately get it to rank better in search. And that's what positional does. Positional has an incredible tool set for everything from content optimization to technical SEO and planning your editorial calendar. And if you don't know by now, I'm one of the co-founders of Positional and I'd love for you to check it out. Mm-hmm.